This is the Pushing Buttons Podcast, the weekly video game podcast where we talk about ideas, concepts, opinions, and experiences in video games. My name's Kevin. My name is Robert. I'm Kyle. Today we're going to be talking about, inspired a little bit by, in my opinion, Diablo Immortal and Fallout 76, we're going to talk mm-hmm. about games that have stepped outside, sh- out outside, outside of their genre. <laughs> Outside of their typical genre and how that affected said franchise or franchises. Um, but first, as always, how have you two gentlemen been the last week? Well, first of all, Robert's back. Woo-hoo! Welcome back, Robert's. I made it back from my blimp trip. Where's the blimp juice? <laughs> I'm sipping on it. <laughs> I am sipping on it. I had to I, I had to dump the rest over the ocean. Oh, it makes man. sense. Yeah. They caught you, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, you had a good time? Yeah. Very good. I'm back. I had a nice Happy vacation. Got all refreshed and relaxed. Uh, got to go on another little mini vacation today. <laughs> got to drive over to my homeland, Central Oregon. Nice. Yeah. It's been a good uh, good week since I've been back. How was the drive? It was nice. No snow in the mountains, no ice or anything. Dude, it was a and beautiful was, uh, day uh, in, typical for, or in general for a drive today. Mm-hmm. I had a great drive myself out to the the coast. I think it was Oregon in general, yeah. Yeah. Sunny, wasn't too cold. There were perfectly crisp. I think there was an air quality advisory in place for oh, all the from all the wildfires down south in California. Oh, yeah, right thank now. God I was in the office all day. Well, there, I didn't see or realize <laughs> I didn't notice any smoke out there at all today. Man, the the weather it. was just perfectly temperate all day. <laughs> because of the thermostat. Yeah. I had a wonderful time today. <laughs> it was a great drive coasting in my racing chair. You, you didn't scoot your scooter around at all? Oh, uh, once or twice. Okay. Naturally. A little bit chilly in the warehouse, but it's because Robert naturally. Wasn't there. Yeah. I, I, I worked up a sweat today. I was doing all sorts of lifting a- acrobatics. <laughs> Were you like putting freight away while like doing cartwheels? I will leave that to your imagination. I am imagining it now. What about the rest of your week? Did you do anything in particular? Any highlights of your vacation? Any video game related stuff? (laughs) Um, Let's see. Went snorkeling. That was a highlight. Whoa, cool. That was probably the big highlight of my vacation. Fun. Yeah, got to see some stingrays and all kinds of fish and cool stuff like that. Nice. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... Other than that, just I went to Mexico, so exploring like all the <clears throat> old parts of town, like where all the you know all the people live and stuff. Like I love seeing like um, like a microcosm, you know, of gotcha. just humanity of just people living and observing that. So that was cool. Walking Especially around town. when it's a different culture that you're not exactly used to. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a big fan of you know like travel shows, Anthony Bourdain and stuff. So it's kind of living uh, that fantasy for myself, I guess. Parts unknown is so great. It really is. Did you uh, experience Mexico like John Marston did? No, sadly. Okay. No. I was hoping you'd talk about Red Dead a little bit. I can talk about Red Dead a little bit. Why don't you talk about Red Dead a little bit? I'll talk about Red Dead a little bit. Okay. So I played some, (laughs) and uh, I didn't go to Mexico in the game. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) You went to Mexico in real life, but not in the game. Not in the game. Okay. Uh, I did get accosted by some hillbillies last night, though. I was uh, setting up camp. Mm -hmm. It's a certain part of, you know, they're a gang. So, you know, different parts of the map have different gangs. Yes. First time I encountered this gang, I made a camp, like, up in the northern part. And you know how the camp animatic, you know, you set up camp and then it goes right to, like, you can craft or cook or whatever? Yes. It was taking a long time to get to that. So I was like, okay, is it, like, glitching or something? All of a sudden this voice, like, comes up behind me and this dude just walks around the campfire. It's like, hey, man, you know you're in the our territory or something like that. And then he has a buddy and they have like like caveman brows and stuff. Like you can tell they're like inbred scared the hell out of me. I imagine. Yeah. Imagine that in VR or, you know, in real life. No, or don't. (laughs) No, that's cool. No, thanks. (laughs) Yeah, that's about it. Um, also one other thing I did. So I finished the first season of big mouth on Netflix this week. Oh, cool. It is a really funny show. It's super crass, but it's hilarious. And uh, it's kind of like BoJack Horseman. Yeah. Where it's it's an animated show, but it's got depth to it, you know? Like mm-hmm. pathos. I could get down and with some crass humor. 
Yeah, it's yeah. it's so funny. Especially faced, the animated variety. Yeah, uh, the voices, all the voices in it are fantastic. But nice. Yeah, gonna start the second season probably this weekend. Cool. There you go. How about Kyle. you, Kevin? <laughs> um, I don't really have much of anything to report. I played a little bit of the Spyro Reignited trilogy. Really? Ooh. You bought that? Well, I said on the podcast months ago that I pre-ordered it for Ashley. Oh, I forgot about that. But I never played past the... I think I played the original Spyro the Dragon on the PS1 for maybe a total of 35, 45 minutes, mm-hmm. somewhere in that range. That's about my experience with it. So I've already played more of the of the remaster than I did of the original. And i got to say, it's not for me. Because I don't have that those nostalgic feelings for it, but the game is gorgeous. It I was going to say from trailers I saw, it's like really awesome graphics. It that is exactly what a remaster should look like, and I, I know uh, Crash Bandicoot was the same way. Mm-hmm. They took what the like the look and the feel of the original games and made them look like a modern version of it, and the, the sounds, the music. You can actually switch the music from the remastered version to the original version of the soundtrack. I was going to say that. I saw that on a a video. That's pretty cool. Hmm. The controls feel nice and tight, just like they did back then, except now you have the the dual analog sticks as opposed to just the (laughs) D-pad. Oh, I remember that. (laughs) Yeah, it it plays exactly how you think it would in the modern day, and it is Spyro the Dragon, which is not for me, but for a remaster (laughs) is good. I think I might pick it up when it goes on sale. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. only forty bucks full price. So when yeah. yeah, when it goes on sale, it'll be like a... twenty bucks. I'll be like, that's a good deal. Yeah. Um, I don't really think I've done much else besides driving a heck of a lot this week. Mm-hmm. But that is work related, and I don't want to talk about <laughs> work related. <laughs> this is not stuff. the place for yeah. that discussion. Yeah, yeah that's a different podcast thoughts. for a different. Time. No, there's no other <laughs> podcast for that. Doesn't exist. Yeah, never. <laughs> what about you, Kyle? Oh man, uh, what about me? Um, what have you done this <laughs> in the last week? Oh, I've been streaming a lot. Yeah, you've been streaming uh... Red Dead Redemption Two for a little bit over the weekend. I missed most of that. That was a lot of fun. I'm I'm really getting into the heart of the game now. Nice. I'm starting to feel like my inner cowboy's coming out. <laughs> I'm more Both guns in... pointed at everybody. I'm more interested in the other game that you've been streaming. Yeah. So during the week, I was like, you know, I could stream more Red Dead, or. Celeste. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool, man. You're going through the, the Game of the Year nominees to I try am. to round out your Game Spider-Man's of the Year Spider-Man's next. Yeah. Uh, nice. I want to play it. You should. Before, it is... I want to have the most complete understanding <laughs> for these picks and go into this fully prepared. I have a couple that I am wanting to play. One that I own, one that I don't. They're both PC games that I want to play before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. But I'll discuss those at a later date. But uh, to put it in a word, Celeste is incredible. That is a word. It's a word I use too much. <laughs> but first impressions, I love the mechanics. Like uh, the dash feels really good. Mm-hmm. The fact that you can hold on to a wall feels good because mm-hmm. I was struggling with that. Because Super Meat Boy, that's where I was kind of borrowing from. Right. You can't hold on to the wall. But you, you kind of slide. slide. But you can actually grip onto the wall. And climb. And climb. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this to, is really To an neat. extent. Yeah. And I love the first area that you first experience, like, your shadow or the main character's shadow. Uh-huh. Yeah, that like was... Like a reflection. That was really cool. It was. It opened the game up to, like, oh, this is what the game is going to be. Yeah. Yes. Because, uh, you know, it was just like a standard platformer. Right. But then, of course, you get into that moment where you're going through those space blocks. That's what I call them. That's a good word for him. And if you dash through it, it just pushes you through the block and you come out the other side with your dash refilled. Momentum, yeah. And you keep the momentum that yeah. you went go- that you had going in. You it's keep that really, going out. It's really, really fun to play. Like, I was really enjoying that segment. But the game just feels great. Like, I love playing it. I feel like later areas, not so much. Like, there was one area with the bubbles that I wasn't really grasping too well. Yeah. That took some learning. But I could see what they were doing with it. The bubbles, are you talking about the ones that you hit to re- replenish your dash? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's ones where, uh, like these crystals uh-huh. that you touch that yeah. refill. That was fine. But later on, like a, I think it was like chapter four, there are these bubbles that you kind of stay put in. 
And you ch- you oh, make the right. direction change. Yeah, okay. That was kind of rough. Yeah, I noticed you were having a, a yeah, difficult time I was. With I that. died a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I can't wait to see where it goes. I'm really looking forward to stream more of it. My favorite level of what I had played so far, and you've already played it as well, was the, the hotel. The hotel was great. Meeting uh, Mr. Oshi- Oshiro. Oshiro. Mr. Oshiro. <laughs> he he was a, a character, and I love the characters in that game in general. Uh, the dude, the main dude that you keep finding along the way. I forget his Theo. name. Theo, yeah. He reminds me of our friend Doug. Oh. <laughs> he, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, he's just like hanging out. He's like, sup? He's <laughs> just hanging out in a plaid shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong I love with that. the part where he's just like taking selfies of you. and <laughs> That it, doesn't sound like Doug, but. Well, I mean, uh, basically, like, you find him in these situations and he helps you, like, calm down. Uh-huh. Like, your character calm down. Yeah. And that was really neat. Like, there was a portion where you're on a gondola, and there's this gameplay shift where you're just trying to keep this feather afloat mm-hmm. in the middle of the screen. I was like, whoa, this is really cool. <laughs> like, I was actually feeling more relaxed as I was trying to focus on that. Hmm. Interesting. It, it was awesome. Yeah. I, I What I really like about that game is, because when I played through Super Meat Boy or what of, what of it I did, mm. I didn't care about the story because it was go to the end of the level, try to save Vantage Girl, Dr. Fetus. Yeah, it's Girl. pretty generic the yeah. story and the characters in celeste are very well thought out and that's what i think pushed that game over the edge for me <laughs> it, it kept me playing and i have not finished it but i've gone through a good a decent portion of it i haven't done any of the b-sides yet but i have unlocked a lot of them oh it's I, cool i i fiddled around with that oh yeah it changes the music yeah it does it makes it more fast it's like the dark world yeah it does that's yeah, like your reaction does. robert <laughs> It's like the the Dark Worlds in Super Meat Boy. Yeah. The Dark Worlds had, like, remixed versions of mm. the original It's really theme. cool. I also like the uh, the dialogue. Like, mm-hmm. it's really well written. Mm-hmm. It really is. And I thought at first it was kind of off, but I really like the, the voice work for the characters. <laughs> yeah, like the Banjo-Kazooie effect, you know, like yeah. Wagga Wagga. Each one has you know? their own specific uh, sound style. Yeah, the tone, and, yeah. And it... it, it conveys exactly like you can tell what that character is conveying and how they're conveying it yeah what type of person that character is based on the sound that they make when they talk i can see why it's a game of the year nominee like it's just really well polished the the Hmm. controls feel absolutely perfect the story is brilliant for that style of game yeah i'm looking forward to seeing the ending yeah me too actually i i kind of ashamed that i haven't finished it yet but I did play a lot of it earlier this year, and I'm going to probably dive back into it. Oh, please do. Yeah. I it's... need someone to talk about <laughs> the game with. Yeah. It's on consoles, right? Yeah. Okay. I yep. think it's on consoles PS. Consoles and PC. Yep. Is it on Xbox? I thought it was. I know it's on PS4, because that's what I own it on, is PS4. Oh, is it only exclusive? I don't know if it's exclusive. I have or not. no idea. I think it's on Switch, so it's probably not exclusive to those two. Okay. It might be on Xbox, but you have a PS4 as well. Yeah. So. But that wraps up my week. Nice. Very excited to see where these games go. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I did do some digging into Fallout 76. You played it? No, 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 no. Of digging. course not. I did some digging. I watched oh. some. I watched a lot of stuff on it. I watched, I watched reviews, some streams. I watched some streams. Yeah. Um, early impressions and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. And the main takeaway that I have from it is that I still don't know what they're trying to accomplish with that game, who that game's for. Mm. And when we sat here and talked about E3 from this past year, we had that bonus episode earlier. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, about E3, and we talked about we need to know more about Fallout 76 before we can have any, like, judgments on it. And even playing the game or watching the game being played, it still doesn't answer any of those questions. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think that's the biggest disappointment is that that game, it it from the impressions that I've seen and read and heard, it looks like a game like The Forest or Rust, just with a Fallout skin. Yeah, that and, genre never really appealed to me. Yeah, I, it appealed to a lot of people for a very short period of time. Yeah. It it seems misplaced, misguided. That game I, could have just, done something wonderful for the franchise. Instead, it seems like, thus far, it's flopped. I think my, my first reaction to it was I went to Twitch, and I saw how many people were watching it. Uh-huh. And it was so low, like it was around for 50, a new release for, for a, new a AAA release. new release, yeah. Because I remember Red Dead was over like a hundred and fifty. It was num- it was number one on Twitch, yeah, for a while. Yeah, Call of Duty was the same, yeah. even though that game didn't have a single player campaign. But that's still up there. It's it's even higher than Fallout right now. Yeah, and Fallout is just kind of in the middle of the pack there. Yeah, that just tells me everything I need to know. I think it's a good <laughs> gauge, but it leads us to the main topic of talking about games that have genre swapped and. 
I, I guess looking at the game, it doesn't look like it's really changed genres. But going from a strictly single-player story-driven game to an online survival game, mm-hmm. it definitely has changed agree. genres. And yeah. it seems like uh, them not having a vivid image of what the game was going to be because they've even released statements saying that they're still working on the game, mm-hmm. making it bigger, making it better. It just tells me that they haven't really fully developed what the game is going to be, and it's what I would call final version, because this mm. looks like an early access title. I've heard that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's still got a lot of bugs, from uh, what I've heard. I mean, Bethesda games always have bugs. Basically, Online games yeah. always have bugs. That's true. Bugs, and it's probably a lot more plentiful in this game than in other Bethesda games. But it's feels like for them changing genres so drastically, uh, it doesn't seem like they put in the, the time and effort into the development of it that they should have, mm-hmm. or the thought process. It feels it. more like a spinoff than like a true sequel. Yeah, and there's been other cases of spinoffs that have worked out, mm-hmm. and I'm, uh, ha- not Halo Wars. Halo Wars is probably a bad example. But I mean, basically, uh, I was thinking of franchises that had main installments that genre bended. Yeah, Halo Wars is kind of that way. I can see that. But... Uh, actually, I, I, if you don't mind, I'm going to talk about Halo Wars for okay. a few minutes. Because Halo was originally d- going to be developed as an RTS for the Macintosh. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Before they ended up sw- swatch- swatching. <laughs> they swatched it. <laughs> they swatched it to a first-person shooter. <laughs> and, of course, it exploded from there. But then they tried to go back to the roots with Halo Wars, and nobody wanted it. Mm-hmm. But I think for an RTS, it was, and that was a console RTS too, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Did you yeah. play that, Robert? I never did. Uh, the only RTS I got into was Battle for Middle Earth 2. Right, and you talked about <clears> that a little bit. And uh, I always wanted to get into it, but I think by the time it came out, I was over that genre. But And Halo wasn't enough to make me, oh, I got to play it at that point. Yeah, I was crazy about Halo back then, too, and I just had no inclination to play Halo Wars. You also weren't an RTS fan, really, though, were Not you? really, no. You played some StarCraft, though, didn't you? Back like, in the day, yeah. yeah. Command and Conquer, uh, Red Alert, I played the hell out of that game. Do you ever but, play Rise of Nations? No. That game was freaking awesome. I've heard good things, though, about that series. Really, really good. And, like, Age of Empire, I think, as well? Probably. I mean, I haven't played that, but... I mean, my real experience with the RTS was mainly with Blizzard games and... Command and Conquer. That's all I know. Gotcha. So what did you have in mind? What were you talking about before? I cut you off. Uh, well, basically, uh, with Fallout 76, I mean, is it really a successful transition? And I feel like a lot of the things I'm going to bring up are going to be both good and bad. I mean, that's the point. I feel like one of the greatest examples of it working is the Resident Evil series. Go on. So basically, you had the first trilogy, one, two, and three. That's a trilogy, yeah. They had the camera perspective of... <laughs> Sorry. What, what's I, so funny? I was being an ass. Go on. What, what am I doing? I was being an ass, I said. What, Go on. Wait, is this something I said? <laughs> you said they had the trilogy of one, two, and three, and then I said that's what a trilogy is, and then I laughed. See, that joke. was me then. <laughs> Go on. I, 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 okay, um... <laughs> Where was I in my thought They had the camera swap. So basically they changed it from a survival horror game to a third-person action shooter Mm -hmm. with Resident Evil 4. And this is kind of what I'm trying to focus on is like main installments in a franchise. Okay. I mean, that makes more sense than saying, you know, we could talk about all day about Mario games and like Mario Tennis and Mario football I plan or to talk about Mario Party. I plan to talk about some of those, <laughs> honestly. I mean, for me, I'm trying to base it off of like main installments that specifically made that transition to evolve. You can talk about those all you want, yeah. So Resident Evil 4, I feel like, was a very successful transition. It took a genre that was, you know, well-established, and it kind of flipped it on its head and changed so many of the systems to be more engaging to the player. Like, having that camera perspective shift, it just makes it a whole different kind of experience mm-hmm. for survival horror. And they did it again with Resident Evil 7. And that was incredible. I loved that game. I felt like that was super scary. And it kept the roots of what what made Resident Evil great as a series. And I feel like that's going to be my top contender for successful gaming genre changes. On that same topic... Uh... I would consider then, if you want to go into that level of detail, uh, 
the differences between Mass Effect to Mass Effect Two to be enough to to classify it as a as a genre change because it went from oh I see what you mean it went from uh, a third person RPG to a third person shooter in my opinion yes it was a third person RPG with shooting mechanics but then it went to a third person shooter with RPG mechanics and totally that. That is my baseline for hating Mass Effect 2 so much <laughs> is because it took away so much of what I loved about the original game and its RPG elements and turned it into – I hate – I don't want to say dumbed down. They, an accessible version of it. I was going to say they took, out, second they took out the Mako sections too in Mass Effect 2. Take it or leave it. I, it, I mean uh, from what I remember, you didn't have any exploration. In the DLC, they had another vehicle. Oh, did they? I think so. Oh, that's right. I yeah, remember. I think I vaguely remember that. There was a, there, there were like very specific missions you could do with a with a vehicle in DLC missions, and I think that was in two. Okay. It might have been three, but I think it was two. Okay. Yeah, because I didn't do any DLC for three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what changed my my view on that franchise was when it went from an RPG to a shooter. Interesting. Yeah. I'm not a big action guy unless it's stupid, silly action like Far Cry or Just Cause. I mean, Spider-Man's action. Yeah, but it's also silly. (laughs) And that game, and I'm going to talk about it in our Game of the Year episode next month, but that's more about the fluidity of the game, the feeling of it, Mm. more than anything else. Okay. I mean, uh, I feel like another good example of genre bending is Metroid from are you talking about the regular Metroid Super Metroid to Metroid Prime? Yes. Okay. Specifically with that shift, what Metroid Prime does so well is that it encapsulates everything that makes exploring those games really fun because it takes a Metroidvania style game and puts it in a first person perspective. You don't have that very often. It's really rare. Like I feel like being Samus, you could go through those older games and not really feel like you're the character. But as a first-person perspective, you get that viewpoint like in the world, like as you're exploring the spaceships mm-hmm. with the pirates, as well as uh, the planets. It was a really great trilogy. I loved And the motion controls were awesome for the third. Say what? Good yeah, motion controls? <laughs> I've well, never heard of such a thing. Metroid Prime 1 and 2 were on GameCube, uh-huh. and the third one came out on the Nintendo Wii. Mm-hmm. And I didn't play... The trilogy that they remastered for the Wii, they uh, took the first two games and put the motion controls of three with those games. Oh, okay. I've always wanted to play that, but I've heard it was really good. But uh, from what I played of Metro Prime 3, it worked really well. It was just a really fantastic trilogy of games, really atmospheric. Huh. Like, it really puts you in those, you know, planets full of aliens, and you just feel like you're really experiencing all of that content, like, as Samus. Whereas, you know, from a 2D perspective, you don't really get that same feeling. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it was a great transition. Great use of genre bending. Is it weird, and it probably is since I'm asking the question, that I'd rather have it in a 2D, like a 2D perspective, that side-scrolling <laughs> perspective, than first person? Well, I of course it... you would. Yeah, I mean... uh Another example is Castlevania. Mm-hmm. That's done a lot of different genre bending as well. You have Castlevania Symphony of Night, mm-hmm. which pretty much took like the base game and gave it RPG elements, which I think you would like. Yeah, that's where you're missing from Mass Effect. Like Symphony of the Night is a great example of that. It just takes everything about Castlevania and makes it so much more open to exploration because you get abilities as you level up. Right. And, oh, my God, it's such a great game. <laughs> I cannot talk about that enough. It's just amazing. Symphony of the Night was the first uh, Castlevania game to have that exploration yes. to it. Because before that, the Castlevania games were just about They're pretty linear. going to the next level, going yeah. to the next level, going mm-hmm. to the next level. But you can take, you know, you can go in whatever direction you want as long as you're not limited by a door being locked or something. They took cues from Super Metroid. Yes. And that's where the Metroidvania name comes from. Yeah. Because those two games were the first big ones to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably also wanted to talk about, like, uh, Lords of Shadow then, I imagine. I mean, I mentioned this in the past, but I personally love Lords of Shadows. It was a great way of taking 
this great franchise and exploring it in another perspective. Because, you know, uh, the boss fights, man, they were incredible in that game. I think that's what I take most from it. Was uh, back in 2010, I think it was. I mean, that was huge. It was a huge game. It took like 20 hours to beat. And that's really long for a Castlevania game. Yeah. I never really played the uh, the PlayStation 2 ones. I think they're called uh, Harmony of Dissonance. Dissonance. Oh, wait, no, that's a Game Boy Advance one. Ah, oh, shoot. I can't remember the names now. But the PS2 ones, I never played. I almost said Aria of Sorrow. <laughs> I was thinking Harvester of Sorrow. I just can't and remember the names. Wasn't Aria of Sorrow? Wasn't that one of them? That was a... Uh, I think that was a Game Boy one. I don't know where I just I pulled the right. name out from because mm-hmm. I never played it. That sounds like one of the Soma ones, Aria of Sorrow. But I, I'm not too familiar with the Castlevania franchise. Yeah. Franchise. I, I played a couple of the Game Boy ones, but not very many. But, yeah. I know something that I could talk about to get Robert to start talking a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I haven't been able to think of anything. Because it, it, it's something that you've mentioned in the past, too, uh, on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Like the, the mainline Forza series versus the Forza Horizon series. Oh, yeah. And it's technically a different series because they put that Horizon name in there. But it's still yeah. the same franchise. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, like... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. It's been a couple weeks <laughs> yeah. trying to get my brain working. So just trying to say, like, how they did it successfully or just... Feel the differences between them, I guess. And well, if, if it worked or if it mm, didn't work... Oh, well, it, it definitely worked. I think uh, at this point, the Horizon subset has surpassed the mainline one. And, uh, Is that, like, in the general public size or just in your eyes? I think at the public size. Okay. Because they've, uh, I mean, both series have consistently gotten, like, good reviews and are always big sellers. But I feel like with each installment of Horizon, it's gotten bigger and bigger, and the noise around it has gotten bigger. And I think more people are interested in that now than just the regular simulator Forza. And uh, that was one reason why I enjoy Horizon a lot more is because I don't care for simulators. Mm-hmm. I'm not about skill and all that stuff, so I like the more arcadey. Yeah. And so they took, yeah, basically what was a super realistic, you know, everything is detailed. You can manipulate everything about your car, and they distilled it into an accessible kind of arcade racer. But it's you can still have some of those elements. They don't affect the game as much as, like, the main one, but... Everything just feels more fluid. It's easier to control and handle. It's got an open world instead of just going on courses around the world. Right. It was enough to set it apart from the mainline franchise, from the mainline series, to have its own subtitle Mm -hmm. and to keep making those games independently of the other ones. And in my opinion, they're better, too. I mean, just I've never played them from watching them, even. Mm -hmm. I'm more interested in the Horizon. Yeah, you can see the difference even from watching. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a lot more to be... And there's a lot more to engage with, I think, with mm-hmm. having an open-world RPG. And I use the the term RPG a little loosely right. in there, yeah. but there are RPG mechanics in that game mm-hmm. uh, more than just being a, a simulator where you fine-tune the car to a T. Yeah. I'm sure there's points of that in the Horizon series where you fine-tune the car, but it's more about the exploration and about the... It's, I feel like in the main series it's necessary. Yeah. Like you have to yeah. fine-tune your car, whereas in Horizon you... Can if you want to, but it's not necessary to make it feel good to be able to do drifts and whatever you want. Right. Yeah. That's sick drift, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the jumps, man. Uh, there is one of the most uh, successful, and I don't know if it's so much a genre swap as the rest of these that we're talking about, but one of the most successful ones in history is going from single-player Call of Duty to multiplayer Call of Duty. And it's maybe not specifically a genre swap, but it's enough of a... I, I consider a single-player first-person shooter a different genre than a multiplayer first-person shooter. Cause there's, that makes sense. There's different uh, mindsets going into it, different mm-hmm. mechanics going into it. The focus has shifted. Exactly. Yeah. And me personally, them going to multiplayer only now is why I'll never play Call of Duty probably ever again. Yeah, but, I'm with you there. 
Yeah, I, now there's even Battle Royale. I got to say, look, watching the Battle Royale version of that for the first couple of weeks after it came out, I was super into watching it on Twitch. I loved it. Mm. I hated watching uh, PUBG. I could almost stand watching Fortnite to a point just because it was colorful and it was vibrant. It was something to look at that was different than the super gray, brown, realistic, air quotes, uh, of player unknowns battlegrounds and call of duty is just a streamlined experience and they took that streamlinity <laughs> stream streamlinitarism and it worked for the battle royale mm-hmm. thing i think they've since added microtransactions which is neither here nor there but that's where i see fallout 76 going as well i think that game was made i think that game was made specifically mm-hmm. with microtransactions in mind. Because why else have an only on, an online only experience if you're not going to monetize it? you can only use Bethesda's it. launcher right. for PC. If you're not going to monetize it, there's no point because you won't yep. keep making money and your audience will just keep dwindling away. Is uh, Elder, Elder Scrolls Online like that at all? I imagine so, but that's... I think Elder Scrolls Online is a different genre than what Fallout 76 is. Gotcha. Um, uh, Elder Scrolls Online is an MMORPG. That is a, a typical MMO. It's mm-hmm. along the lines of EverQuest. It's along the lines gotcha. of like World of Warcraft to an extent. Whereas yeah. Fallout 76 is more of a... It's a subset of an MMO, but it's mm-hmm. not an MMO in the sense that you're playing with a set number of characters or a set number of other players, and it's all about the survival in that world, living gotcha. in that world, rather than leveling up and going through quests. You know, I, I feel like Fallout 76 is more akin to... Uh games like uh, Arma or, uh, you know, DayZ, you know, games that are open world, but yeah. are basically sandboxes. Yeah, like Rust in the Forest, like I was saying before. Right. Like sandbox survival. Yeah, but yeah. I feel like... Or Age, Age of Conan. <laughs> I mean, I want to play it for the lore. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm all up for learning more about that universe. Yeah. But I just, I'm not in a hurry for this one. It, mm-hmm. it just looks like a dull environment. Give it a year or two and wait till they've added a bunch of stuff and it's all bulked up. I mean, to me, it just seems like a Fallout 4 reskin. I'm just not really feeling it. With less personality and more (laughs) people that you don't want to play with. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, that's the big thing stopping me from playing is even if you don't want to play with other people, then there's going to be nothing for you to do because there's no NPCs. All the quests are delivered by, you know, robots or by finding notes and stuff like that. Yeah. That's yeah. Actually, I don't know why I'm just now thinking of this, but I've already mentioned the game. Uh the the one that is the most successful genre swap of all time for a franchise, Warcraft. In the world of Warcraft. That was World of Warcraft is entirely different than Warcraft's one through three. Oh yes. Which were RTSs. Mm-hmm. And going to an MMO. Never knew that. It was an entirely different concept altogether. Yeah, I played Warcraft 1 and 2 back in the day. And, man, when World of Warcraft came out, I was, like, not prepared for that. <laughs> you know, Illidan was right. We were not prepared, you know. <laughs> I'm sure that's a joke that I would appreciate if I knew. The exactly, war. yeah. It's, it's a Blizzard joke. Um you know, I saw on BlizzCon that they're remastering... <laughs> Diablo Immortal is the best Blizzard joke ever. <laughs> I mean, that's... I mean, I was going to say, uh, wasn't Diablo 2 a uh, genre swap of Diablo 1? Because that was single player and Diablo 2 was multiplayer. No, they were both multiplayer. Oh, I didn't know that. And they were both single player as well. I only played it single player, Diablo 1. Oh, I play them both online, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. And what do you think of Diablo Immortals? I mean, it's not so much a genre, but it's like a platform swap. In the same way that the Elder Scrolls, what was that mobile game they announced? Blades? Yeah. Blades. Why do I way... remember this and you guys don't? Because I don't care. Uh, in the same way that Elder Scrolls <laughs> Blades stuff. isn't for me, Diablo Immortals also not for me. Because yeah. I don't play games on my phone. If I do, they're crossword games, they're puzzle games, they're little games that I can play for 10 mm-hmm. minutes at a time and not have to pay to keep playing. Or it, it, It's not my thing. I don't care that they didn't announce Diablo 4. Because, so a little behind the scenes, I was preparing a full-on story, like a news story thing about Diablo Immortal before I got way behind and not able to do it in a timely manner. But the, the biggest thing there that I took note of was that 
back in August, uh, one of the the uh, community managers at Blizzard said that there are multiple Diablo projects in the works. She mm-hmm. released a, like a little two minute video of her talking to the community, saying that there are multiple Diablo projects in the works. And that some of them might be able to be shown off this year. Others definitely will not be. The fact that they showed something for Diablo was promising. The fact that they didn't do what Bethesda did and still give... Because the thing that took away from uh, Bethesda's press conference about the Elder Scrolls Blades, who wants that, who needs that, was that they still announced the Elder Scrolls Six. Mm-hmm. They had that little that little screen at the end with just the title and the backdrop, and that was it. That was all they needed for the drip feed to if, keep on dripping. If Bethesda did, sorry, if Bethesda could do it, Blizzard should have done something like that. Yeah, they, the reception you know, to Immortal would not have been nearly as viral, <laughs> in my opinion, yeah. as uh, yikes as the the backlash to Diablo Immortal gotcha. was. I think people were disappointed because they were expecting either Diablo 2 Remastered or Diablo 4 to be announced. Or Diablo 1, for that matter. I would prefer a Diablo 1 Remaster over a Diablo 2 Remaster, because my PC can still play Diablo 2. I don't have any way of playing (laughs) Diablo 1 without pirating it, and I don't do that. Mm. Excuse me. I don't do that, so I can't play Diablo 1 anymore. Good man. There is kind of a Diablo 1 built into Diablo 3, once a year, they have an event that allows you to go down into the uh, the, the church and oh, go cool. down at level by level. But mm-hmm. it's only got a few levels. It's still Diablo 3. They changed the walking animation to look like Diablo 1 <laughs> a little bit, which is more cute than anything else. Yeah. But it's it's really just a, thro- a, a throwback, a callback, mm-hmm. more than remastering of a mm-hmm. game. I would love a Diablo 1 remaster. I would really get down with that. Even if it was a mobile game, I would probably play it. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them. They just announced the Warcraft 3 remasters, so yeah. I'm looking forward to that because I've never played Warcraft 3. Well, the fact that they're doing this, they're remastering Warcraft 3 so long after remastering the original Starcraft leads me to believe that they're not going to touch the Diablo franchise for a remaster for know. quite Maybe. a while still. Maybe. It might be their next one, but Hopefully. How, well, <clears throat> excuse me, how long ago did uh, Starcraft Remastered come out? That was a couple, three years ago, I think. Yeah, so it'll be probably another couple, three years before any Diablo remasters come out. And especially with them working on Diablo 4, and I think that's been confirmed that they're working on Diablo 4. Whether or not it'll actually see the light of day is another thing. It'll probably be a couple years before we see anything on it. Yeah. The rest of what came out of Diablo Immortal, if I'm going to talk about that, I may as well finish talking about it, was their partnership with NetEase. On that, and how NetEase, they've got multiple games that are just reskins. They're basically clones of other Blizzard games. And people are afraid that Diablo Immortal is going to be a reskin of a clone of a reskin. <laughs> With, exactly, yeah. <laughs> With monetization. Yeah, it's not good. On top of that. Not good at all. Post launch monetization on top of that, which is. <sighs> I understand the backlash. I really do. I never read into it, so I didn't understand what everyone was so upset about. It was until now. So the biggest reason I think people were upset about it at the time, especially, was because it was the end of BlizzCon. People were expecting a huge announcement, and they got a mobile game. They got a mobile game. Gotcha. Yeah, and it makes sense. Yeah, that's why <laughs> you get questions like, "Is this an out of season April Fool's joke?" and <laughs> stuff like that. Did you not hear about that? No. <laughs> one at the, the like I said, I, I ignored Blizzard gotcha. articles. It was I right when he went on vacation. The Q&A after the yeah. announcement, uh, one of the guys asked if it was mm-hmm. an out-of-season April Fool's joke. And there was another guy that asked if there was any uh, intention to put this on PC at any point in the future. Nope. And the guy said, no, it's we're developing this for Android and iOS. You can play it on your phone and iPad. Or tablet, but no. Yeah, I think their plans words were. You guys got phones, right? That's what I was leading up to. Is there yeah. was that that was met with a chorus of boos, and then throughout the boos, you just hear someone, one of the guys on stage, go, "You guys have phones, right? You guys all have smartphones." <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's how you win your crowd back over is by talking down to them like that. Not uh, smart. Blizzard's out of touch, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. They'll they'll take something and streamline it and then remonetize it over and over again. That's yep. it's the Activision I touch. I know this, yes. It's the Activision touch. Well, getting back to the main topic. 
That kind of was on topic. I Diablo Immortal is kind of a genre swap, but go for it. Metal Gear to Metal Gear Solid. From the original top-down, yes. 2D pixelated shooter for arcade? First into a fully realized stealth game. Right. I mean, this was mind-blowing back in the day. Hideo Kojima just knocked it out of the park. The stealth elements in Metal Gear are like, you know, they're up there, like, with Splinter Cell. Those are like the two golden standards mm-hmm. for stealth. Yeah. I mean, it pioneered so many different uh, subgenres to come out of that stealth genre. Because, you know, you have games like Dishonored mm-hmm. that borrow from that. And other stealth games I can't remember. <laughs> um, Ones that don't matter as much. Exactly. You know, like every game has like a Hitman stealth segment. That, that stand, this Hitman to be the same. Okay, line. that's a good example. Yeah. But I mean, you have those random games with stealth segments. Yeah. They took those straight out of Mount Gear or Splinter Cell, yeah. I would imagine. But man, that's a, that's a game. <laughs> there, there's one franchise that did are you, sorry I didn't mean to cut you off there <laughs> no that was a good segue uh, there is one franchise that I talked about last week on the podcast that almost every game was a different subgenre of the first person shooter and that was Far Cry until after Far Cry 3 when they just decided to go the way of Activision and just keep going down the same path that they've been mm-hmm. going down uh, Far Cry to Far Cry 2 huge difference from a linear first-person shooter to more of an open-world first-person shooter. And then from Far Cry 2 to Far Cry 3, having the outposts and the radio towers, and you can go anywhere you want at mm. any time. Oh, yes. And then from Far Cry 3 beyond, they just kept that same basic center of gameplay. It's their new golden yeah. standard. And it's because it's worked for Assassin's Creed. It's worked for mm-hmm. uh, the crew. <laughs> Watch Dogs. Watch Dogs. Uh, yeah. Man, Pretty much so... every every Ubisoft <laughs> franchise that's out there has done the same thing. Yes, uh, Assassin's Creed has kind of done a mini revamp too. From yeah, from Syndicate to Origins, mm-hmm. and now even Origins to Odyssey. Yeah, it's a similar, but it's even if you put Odyssey next to Syndicate, it's a huge leap. Yeah, from. You know, third person action to now it's like a fully fleshed out RPG and mm-hmm. open, like more open mm-hmm. world. You could literally yeah. go wherever you want at any mm-hmm. time, rather than having to go to certain yeah. points at certain times. And I know you don't care for him that much, but I know a lot of people have been praising it for going the RPG route yeah. and trying something different. It's still the same formula, but now it's got a little more variety and yeah, a little bit of change to it. And I've enjoyed it a lot. I'm glad they've started going that direction. For Assassin's Creed, they have their spin-off franchise of the Chronicles series, which haven't which done I too well. Yeah. Um, it's because they seemed like dumbed-down versions of Mark of the Ninja, and Mark of the Ninja was fantastic. Great game. Um, mm-hmm. The Chronicles games, I've tried playing Chronicles China, like I think on four separate occasions. I've played the first four or five levels four or five times, and I just stop playing it at the same point every time because I lose interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they took what... The, they took the, a series that worked in the way that it was and tried to do something new with it, and mm-hmm. I applaud them for that, at least. Ubisoft has at least tried going out of their way with uh, random franchises. When I said, like, Valiant Hearts and uh, uh, Child of Light, they tried doing new things, and I think they went tried doing new things with the Assassin's Creed franchise, and they just didn't go all in mm. enough on the Chronicle series because that could have been a really, really good franchise. I Sub-franchise, I guess. It could have been a really good series, mm. but it just seemed like there were already other games out there like Shank and Mark of the Ninja and other clay games <laughs> that do the same thing, but a <laughs> heck of a lot better. Even Prince of Persia, the original Prince of Persia games, mm-hmm. I felt played better even though they had terrible controls. Hey, but, man, i got to say that's another good example. Is, Prince uh, of Persia. Sands of Time. Yeah. Man, that game is amazing. Well, I mean, going from the original Prince of Persia to the Sands of Time, yeah. I mean, I don't know if the, you know, the reverse time effect was in the original game. I don't think it was. I don't think so either. But uh, if it was, it was when you died, you reverse time to get yeah. back. But I think that might have been added later. Oh, okay, to so like a remaster or something. But man, that was <coughs> that was an incredible example of a game changing genres and it working so well. If I remember right, I think that one game of the year for its year. It was so successful. Wow. Like, what made Prince of Persia so great was that it didn't punish you for dying. 
you could reverse the original time. Prince of Persia did. Yeah, and that's what it was known for. Was but, it's punishing. I mean, you get a portion of that in so many games now, where if you die, you just load from the recent checkpoint. And that's what Celeste does so beautifully. Yeah, exactly. Celeste and is great with that. I think Prince of Persia really does it well because you have all these traps that you have to navigate, mm-hmm. and all of these platforming challenges, as well as combat. It added combat to the game, like third person, person, pardon me, <laughs> third person combat, and uh, overall, I just think it's a phenomenal way of taking a game at its most basic elements, like Mario, and adapting that to a modern audience like Mario 64 did. Mm-hmm. Prince of Persia does that as well and enhances that original game's legacy because of it. You want to, want to know another franchise that does exactly the same thing? Went from a 2D shooter to a, a first-person shooter in pretty much the same time frame. It went from a classic DOS 2D shooter to an N64 first-person shooter, and that's Duke Nukem. They did the exact same Duke thing. Nukem? Duke Nukem 1 and Duke Nukem 2 were oh, yeah. tough as nails DOS. I remember those. Side-scrolling. I think I played those when I was like in fifth grade or Dude, something. Dude, I even I have them now. I got the Oh, I remember the, those. The collection on Steam. Yeah. And it's got the original uh, Duke Nukem 1, Duke Nukem 2 on there. Uh-huh. And those games are flipping hard, man. <laughs> <laughs> I went back and played the, uh, the I don't remember if it's the 20th anniversary edition of uh, uh, Duke Nukem 3D. Mm-hmm. Whatever the, the recent remaster of that game was. And that game wasn't nearly as hard as I remembered it being. Man, Duke Nukem 3D is one of those timeless games, I think. Duke Nukem 3D is incredible it's still fun to play it really is like i haven't played it in years but i know i'll still have fun playing it dude you should like it it's it, <laughs> it has there are versions on steam that'll work with windows 7 and windows 10 you know that's another good example is uh shadow warrior the spinoff yeah that. and yeah. That, that got re-released or rebooted or whatever <laughs> i guess duke nukem did too again but i don't want to talk about that <laughs> but uh i mean yeah that goes without saying but have you played the new shadow warrior I played it until... I, I own it, but I haven't played it. I, I own it as well. I haven't played the second one, but I've played... I never played the original Shadow Warrior games. Oh, that was a good game. The games that were spin-offs that of... Spin-offs of uh, like, I think Daikatana was another one that was kind of the same. Oh, yeah. But it was apparently... John Romero's going to make you his bitch. Yeah. <laughs> right, that was, that was what they... That was the tagline, yep. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Stick to Doom, man. <laughs> but, yeah, really. Uh, I did play quite a bit of, maybe not quite a bit, maybe about three or four hours of the the new Shadow Warrior series. Mm-hmm. I forget what, it's like 2014 when the first one came out, some, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives a lot of fun. Uh, the sword makes it brilliant to play. It is, it is incredible to play. It feels fantastic. It's just frantic, fast-paced action, which is what you'd expect from Shadow Warrior. You know, speaking of Daikatana, <laughs> there's uh, other games that John Rebended that weren't good at all. <laughs> I have on. I have a great one. You Go ready? I'm ready. Star Fox 64 to Star Fox Adventures. Aye, aye, aye. That game was a turd, man. <laughs> that game had some <laughs> hype behind it before it, did. it came out, too, because everybody loved was, Star Fox 64. I bought it on launch. I was so hyped with my new GameCube at uh-huh. the time because I just bought Smash Brothers. I'm like, whoa, look at Fox. He looks totally different from his 64 version. And then I get Star Fox Adventures. <laughs> and then, you know, you hear all these dinosaurs speak dinosaur speak, like, bebop, boo-zoo-ba-da-ba-doo-ba-da-ba. That's, that's and, like, you know, periodically accurate, yeah. <laughs> Like, it's gibberish. It's basically gibberish. Like, if you watch a cutscene from that game, you'll be like, what the hell did I just listen to? <laughs> it's nonsense. It's complete nonsense. But, you know, they took out what made Star Fox such an iconic, like, iconic franchise was the Arby's Easy segments. for you to say. Not at all. <laughs> it... <laughs> You're welcome. I'm, I'm too passionate about this subject. You know what you should play then? What? If... And I still haven't played this either, but I plan on it uh, before the end of the year. Is Starlink Battle for Atlas? Is that the Skylanders ripoff? It's one with the like the toys, right? It has the toy integration to it, but the digital versions have more than the physical versions, and you don't need those stupid toys to play them. 
Yes. The digital version is it's apparently a really fun game. It the Switch version has Star Fox in it and they have their own side quest as well as the main quest of the game. Mm-hmm. And it apparently plays a lot like the original Star Fox and Star Fox 64 did. Well, that's with those already better controls. than Star Fox Adventures. I that never game was horrible. That yeah. It was like trying to be an Ocarina of Time ripoff, and <laughs> it didn't even do that well. It was just this blend of games, and it, like they had R-Wing segments, but they were so stupid. And, oh my god, that was a horrible game. I, I really regret Owning that game. Did either of you guys play Laura Croft in the like Guardian of Light or whatever those those two no. D Laura Croft games were? I played the demos. I never played them. I never. I never really started to Laura like, Croft till the reboot. They were Xbox Live Arcade games, right? They were also on Steam, I think. Oh, okay. But yeah, they were. They weren't classified as Tomb Raider. It's like like even Hitman Go was a I think mobile one. I think there was a Laura Croft mm. Go as mm. well. But these were. Not that the Laura Croft games were like set in the Tomb Raider world, but you played as Laura Croft or this other guy, and it was a co-op, almost Diablo-looking game, but it was more of a a puzzle platformer mm-hmm. than an action adventure. It was really weird. I didn't play them either, and they never appealed to me. I was hoping one of you guys had so I could have some insight no, on I it. I don't. No. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I forgive you. One thing did pop in my head though. From the 360 days, uh, it wasn't so much of a like mainline genre flip, but it was like a like a side franchise or side like a spinoff. Okay, but is uh, the Dead or Alive fighting series, and then they had Dead or Alive beach like beach volleyball. <laughs> and they had two of them. Hey man, that game was amazing to my teenage self. <laughs> I never imagine. actually played. I didn't either. Those ones. I played the original on Xbox. I remember watching videos a lot, but I never. <laughs> I think there was a demo, actually. I think I might have played that. but I watched a lot of those videos, too, oh, but never man. played the game. I played a lot of those games with one hand. <laughs> Good times, dude. Yeah, yeah. That's, that That game had an audience, and they went all in yeah. on that audience. It's, it's, it'd be hard to imagine that kind of game being made nowadays. I know. with the By a big publisher like that. Yeah, It's too risky. <laughs> too risque. Risque. You guys remember Red Faction? I never played it. Red like, Faction? You're talking about Armageddon now, aren't you? That's well, where you're going. I'm going back to the PS2 one, the first-person shooter. I never played Red Faction or Red Faction 2. Neither I played I. Red Faction Guerrilla. I have. And I watched a little bit of Armageddon. I never played the original two. Or... I mean, that was such a weird transition. You had a first-person shooter. Then you had an open-world, third-person, blow-shit-up kind of game. Yeah. And then you had a survival horror game. It was like, what are you trying to be? Gorilla was fantastic, though. It was a fun game, but I mean, I didn't love it. Like, it was fun, but not really memorable. Did you know that that game and Saints Row are set in the same universe? No way, really? They totally are. They both even have the same mega corporation that takes over everything. The Old Horror Corporation. Whoa. Yeah. That's a little neat little gaming trivia fact. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm enlightened now. Put that in your pocket now. I don't know if they were, if it's been confirmed that they technically take place in the same universe or if they just both have heavy nods to each other because they're both THQ games. I think they were both THQ games. I think so. But, yeah, they both had the Ultor Corporation, which was like the the corporation that took over Mars in Red Faction Guerrilla. Mm-hmm. It was the corporation that was trying to take over everything in Saints Row the Third. You know, speaking of corporations, uh oh, uh, we gotta talk about a big one. Okay, I mean, this is like a given, like Grand Theft Auto to Grand Theft Auto Three. I was gonna say that. Yep. I mean, yeah, the the original. I never played. I played probably an hour of either GTA One or Two. I don't remember same. which. I probably had a little bit, like thirty minutes. Yeah, and I hated it. Yeah. I thought I was like, this game is stupid. Yeah. Because you can't see anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Grand Theft Auto 3 came out, and it was like, holy crap. It was like the best game ever at the time. Yes. <laughs> so I played 3 first, and then I was like, oh, there's 1 and 2. And so I tried to go back and play those. That's, and that's like, what I did, too. I was like, well. what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly how I did it, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I didn't really play Grand Theft Auto 3 till after Vice City. But Vice Weird. City was like a 
immensely influential game on me because I played it, I think, when I was 13, which is definitely below the ESRB rating of <laughs> M for hey, But your parents bought it for you, so it's okay. No, actually, I uh, went over to a friend's house every weekend. Oh. And he had the game. <laughs> gotcha. That's how I also played Halo and Animal Crossing and SOCOM and all those other awesome games. Your parents wouldn't buy you Animal Crossing? Not for a while. It was dangerous at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Might get you too attached Addicted. to having mm. animals yes. in the house? Yes. But I, I was exposed to a lot of different games and those adventures. Holy crap, man. GTA is amazing. Especially when you're a teenager. GTA 3 and GTA San Andreas were the two Grand Theft Auto games that did the most for me. Like, I was obsessed with the strip clubs in Vice City. <laughs> Going from DOA Extreme Beach Volleyball to the strip clubs in Vice City. I think Vice City came out first. But Either way, man, you're not. You're a teenager. You're light. like, holy crap, this game is mature. And you need to get in there. And you need to. So f- before that, there was Duke Nukem 3D, and they had I tipped the- that lady. <laughs> there were several of them. <laughs> hey, I paid for my services rendered. <laughs> GTA, just, not so much. I just remember from uh, Duke Nukem 3D, just the lines of "Shake it, baby, you want to dance? You want shake it, shake it, uh, shake it, baby, you want to want to want to dance?" Because <laughs> you just keep hitting spacebar and keep handing the the the, yeah, the lady some he money. He had a limit. He had a limited cash. It's great, man. I love making him cut himself off by saying "Shake it, shake it, baby, you want to want to want to dance? Shake it, baby, want to dance?" That's pretty I don't great. think you can do that in the new one. I, I never know. played Duke Nukem Forever, but I've watched streams of it. Duke Nukem Forever started off in a risque manner, and it was mm. really stupid, and that game is terrible, mm. and I blame Randy Pitchford. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there boy. it is. Uh, I heard about a lot about him last week. <laughs> I think Kyle made it sound like I absolutely hate the guy. You do. I don't hate the guy. You do. I badmouth a lot of his games. You do. Yeah. You do. Yeah. Alien Colonial Marines. I, I mean, I don't personally blame oh, Randy Pitchford. That's for a that good one. Whole... Alien Colonial Marines to Alien Isolation. That is amazing. Even Alien versus Predator yes. to Alien Colonial Marines to Alien Isolation. Those oh, are man. three totally different genres of games. I never played Alien Colonial Marines, oh. but I knew from a mile away it smelled of Yahoo! You're welcome. It was a <laughs> It was a horrid monstrosity of a game. Yes, very much. Statue was cool, though. Huh? The statue was cool. Statue? From the collector's edition. Oh. Did you own it? Yeah. You bought it? I pre-ordered it, dude. You guys both bought it on launch? Yeah. When did you buy it? On launch? On launch. You just said on launch. But why? Because I wanted an alien game, and it looked cool, and it had a cool statue. I was super hyped for the game. What the hell? Why was I immune to that? And then I traded Turd. it in like a week later. Amazing. I pre-ordered it digitally. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. The game came out was with a really trailer. Was it really that big of we a talked, game? Yeah. About this. It game... was super hyped? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, the E3 trailers for it looked incredible. Are you just now <laughs> the, learning about the this? The trailers did look incredible. I haven't seen the trailers. The trailers did not look like the game. <laughs> the trailers and the hype behind <sighs> the game are what made me buy the movies and watch them for the first time. Holy really? cow. I'm, that Whoa. was how into it I was. I watched the movies and I'm like... This, Screw it, I'm pre-ordering this game. This so is, I pre-ordered the game, and what, that's why I hate Gearbox software. This is mind-blowing. You watched all four? I did not watch the fourth one. Oh. I watched Alien, Aliens, and Alien 3. Which one's your favorite? Uh, that's a toss-up between Alien and Aliens. Those two are both well, incredible Well, I mean, movies. those are the two. That's a genre flip. That is a genre <laughs> flip. From a, horror, yes. from a horror flick to an action flick, yeah. Those, yeah. Th- those are both incredible movies for yeah. what they were, and... That is a genre film. That's a good, great one, though. Yeah, very great. One. Wow, I can't believe yeah, uh, I missed out on such a huge release. Well, you didn't miss in out. Retros- on- <laughs> yeah, in <laughs> retrospect, you didn't miss out. Buddy. Uh, you saved yourself sixty bucks and a lot of headaches. God, or was 90 it really bucks. that hyped? Yeah. Did you not have no. internet? <laughs> Maybe it was because I just didn't have any, like you know, personal... internet. <laughs> no, like Alien scared me as a kid, so I didn't want to play any of those games. 
It was only until recently I played Alien Isolation, and yeah, that game scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> well, it's like I said, I had I hadn't even seen the movies until after I watched the E3 trailer for Aliens Colonial. You need Marines. to stream Alien Isolation. I might do that sometime. I don't. It's own a it, fantastic. Yeah, I don't own the game. It's long, but man, it's a great game. Schlong. Like, <laughs> Schlong. Schlong. <laughs> I think you need to cut back on the alcohol, Cal. <laughs> do I? I? I've only had one. That's fair. Should I get another one? No, it's cool. Do you have any last minute oh. fire offs that you want to go go about? I wrote a whole list today. All right, just fire them off. Don't go into discussion about them. Just fire them off. Oh, I actually talked about a lot of them. There we go. Um, every Red... Mario game ever. Well, here's one that you'd like. Okay, Red Dead Revolver to Red Dead Redemption. Did you ever play Red Dead Revolver? Nope. Me neither. It was a linear game. It wasn't open world. I have watched some videos of it. Basically, it's story-driven and, you know, you have chapters, but, you know, they're like single missions. Like, uh, it's basically like event, event, event to the end. But it was a fun game. I I mean, if you're looking for a blast from the past, I recommend it. From the videos I watched, it didn't look like something I'd want to play. It was pretty fun. I enjoyed it. Call of Juarez Gunslinger. Mm-hmm. was a totally different game than all the other Call of Juarez games, and it was incredible. Mm-hmm. It was uh, almost an on-rails shooter, but without the actual rails for you to... Like, you could... It was super short, linear levels that you had to do things in a certain way, and it was incredible arcade fun. Hmm. Anything else? I wrote down the original Legend of Zelda to Zelda 2. <laughs> yeah, and then back to... Even yeah. again to... Uh, 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 the, the, the link to the past. Yes. Yeah, those are all three completely different games. They are, yeah. But I, I haven't played the first two. I've only played Link to the Past, which is a phenomenal game. One of the best games of all time. Um, I have Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time to what we have now with Breath of the Wild, open world. Yeah, I've talked about that a lot. All already. the Zelda games have been like pretty much complete, like Final Fantasy. Yeah, <laughs> that's had a lot of spinoffs. Mario that changed genres. Um, Syndicate Syndicate Wars to the first person shooter. I have no idea what you're I was kind of hyped about it, but apparently it was terrible. Never heard of it. Mm-hmm. Syndicate Wars was like a top down RPG where you like control a squad of these commandos, and it was like a cyberpunk game. It was really cool, and uh, essentially they would be like you know controlled by you to. I God, I can't remember the story of the game. But there was like a remake of it, basically, in a first-person shooter style in 2012 by EA. I never played it, but I heard it was okay. Syndicate Wars? Yeah. To me, it sounds a lot like Shadowrun. It's kind of like Shadowrun. Because Shadowrun had uh, top-down RPGs, and then they had the the third-person Xbox 360 game that Mm -hmm. was uh, online competitive, like an, an arena shooter. And then they went back to Shadowrun Returns and Dragonfall with the top-down RPGs again. Yes. Very, very weird. <laughs> I think that's all I had. I have one last one that I want to talk yep, about. that's it. The Binding of Isaac to The Binding of Isaac Four Souls, which is a card game that I'm going to be getting in the mail <laughs> pretty darn soon because nice. I pledged... Was it out? It will be. I don't know when, but I oh. pledged to the Kickstarter, and I will be getting my gold box at some point, and we will be playing that, and I'll be having a lot of fun with it. Are we going like, to stream it? I no, I tend to record it, edit it, upload it. Oh, nice. streaming it's way too hard with so many cards, and it's gonna take a long time. What's, I want to. What's playing that? That'd be fun. Well, I don't know when it's coming out. You just said it was soon. I don't know when. It is soon, but I don't know when. But how is it soon if you don't know when? <laughs> it's November. That's all I know. Well, that is soon. <laughs> you said you didn't know when, though. I don't know exactly when. I don't know what day. <laughs> but you said November, like you have like a time frame. I said soon. Soon is also a time frame. <laughs> no, it's not. You didn't have uh, soon as in November. Sometime in November. I'm if you're enjoying us talking in circles, please do yourself a favor and listen to all of our past episodes because they have as much gold as this one did. <laughs> if you have any other entries to the list that we've discussed today, let us know. Or want to talk about any of the ones that we've talked about, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter at PushingButtonsP. You can find all of us individually on Twitter as well. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, CastBox, however you're listening to this podcast. Just click the like buttons, leave us a comment, let us know what you think. 
Follow us on Twitch because Kyle streams there very, very often, and it mm-hmm. is fantastic fun to watch. Twitch.tv slash pushing buttons for links to all of these and to everything we do. Pushingbuttonspodcast.com. Thank you for listening to us. We will see you next week with another topic that we, as of yet, don't know what that topic is. <laughs> It'll be soon, though. <laughs> we'll come in November. Soon. It'll be in November. It'll be in November. <laughs> Actually, no. Don't know what day yet. It won't be because, <laughs> yeah, it will be. It'll be on the twenty. 20- the 27th yeah it will be 26 27th i can't wow, see the calendar know. from here man that's soon because it is soon it's in november 27th <laughs> <laughs> until next time <laughs> see you later adios goodbye love you soon